All of God's people said amen. amen. Thank you, Amy, and thank you, team. I think most genuine believers in the Lord Jesus Christ know that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. He lies so much that he actually lies to himself. And one of his biggest whoppers that he has invaded many a church and many believers, many professing Christians, is that he doesn't exist. And once you convince him that he doesn't exist, then he can rummage their lives. It's like a robber that comes at night and convinces you that he's not there. So you go to sleep while he's robbing you blind. Satan's commitment, please listen carefully, Satan's commitment is to obliterate the truth of the Word of God and replace it with falsehood. That's what he and all of his demons are constantly working and doing. He has done that ever since he and his demons were kicked out of heaven, and he continues to do that throughout history, and he's doing this in our lifetime. We have seen churches and Christian schools (laughs) that have championed the inerrant Word of God. Now, slowly but surely, abandoned that very inerrant Word of God that once they championed. Again, probably there's nobody understood this as much as this, this particular deception as much as the Apostle Paul. And that is why in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, he says to the next generation, to the next generation leaders, not only to believe the truth, but to pass it on to the next generation, something we have been very conscious about in this church. He said, keep on reminding them. Who are the them? The believers. Uh, Keep on reminding them of what? Keep on reminding them of biblical truth. Don't get tired of reminding them of biblical truth. Don't ever give up reminding them of biblical truth. And that is why he said, in the, in, in the literal sense, he said, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God. That is a very huge charge. Solemnly, in the presence of God. This is not just something, well, do it if you feel like it, or do it when you can, or do it when the opportunity arises. He said, I charge you in the presence of God, solemnly charge you, Uh, against wrangling about words which are useless and ruins lives. If you are a guest with us today, we are dab smack in the middle of a series of messages entitled, Don't Ever Give Up, talking about giving up on the truth of the Word of God or watering down or changing it or modifying it. Never, never give up. And we've been going through this second epistle, the very last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. We don't know if it was days or weeks, certainly not months, after writing this, that he was taken and beheaded and died. And so, this is a very intense 
epistle. It's a very intense letter. It, it, you can feel it in every word that is in the page of that letter. And so, as we've been doing throughout this sh- short series of messages, and that is reading the Word ourselves so that we let it penetrate deep into our hearts, I'm going to ask you to stand, please, as we read 2 Timothy 2, 14 to 26. Now, if you want the Pew Bible, right in front of you, grab it, 1850, page 1854, or it will be on the screen. So let's read the Word of God together. Keep reminding them. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus, please let the Holy Spirit, your Spirit, move freely in our midst, speak to our hearts, to our minds, and to our will, that we may obey you with all of our hearts in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Be seated, please. We saw in the last message the first half of chapter 2 in 2 Timothy. He gave us three imageries that help us in our faithfulness in passing on the truth to the next generation. Those three imageries, I pray to God, that will stick to us and, and, and remain with us and build on them three more. Just let me remind you once again, those were the imageries of the soldier who is soldiering and not getting entangled with their civilian affairs for the gospel and for the truth of biblical truth. 
Secondly was the image of an athlete, that we are athletes who are running according to the rules. And thirdly, we saw the third imagery, and that is of the farmer who's patiently plowing and planting and harvesting. And here in the second half of chapter 2, he gives us three more imageries as if to build up those six imageries together can help us truly be faithful in our service of the Lord. And look at them with me again. We just read them. These three imageries for faithful service are a good worker, a worker who's not ashamed of what he's doing, working hard. Secondly, a clean vessel, a vessel that is always ready to be used for honorable things. And then thirdly, the third image is a servant who is loyal and obedient to his master. Let's look at this very quickly. A worker who's not ashamed. The very reason for serving diligently, the very reason for working faithfully, uh, serving the Lord, is not to please others and make others feel good about themselves, good as that may be. It is not even to please oneself. The very reason for faithfulness, the main reason and the ultimate reason for faithfulness is to please the Lord. Now, the definition of shame, I saw a new one this week. It says, a painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt, shortcoming, or impropriety. Why are the false preachers should be ashamed? Because when their work is only for the show, it's only to impress people, it's only for the praise of people, they ought to be ashamed of themselves. When it is not to please the Lord first and foremost, they ought to be ashamed of themselves. And yet, <laughs> those very uh, who have every reason to be ashamed, they are shameless. Himirat, please. The primary application here in this particular passage is to the next generation leaders, and this is where the burden of the Apostle Paul. But is there a wider application for every person at the sound of my voice? There is a wider application for every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is why any ministry, any ministry whatsoever, must be done for the glory of God alone. We ought not to have personal or hidden agenda. There must be straight lines. <laughs> um, we, 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 we should not have twists and turns or, or manipulate others for personal gain, not to dress up the truth in such a way as to try to make it palatable and acceptable, and not to bury the truth under an avalanche of a marketing program or uh, under the guise of relevance. In other words, be straightforward. <laughs> Talking about straightforward, I think some of you already will, 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 will figure this one out. Being straightforward has got me into a lot of hot water. <laughs> it, through the years, through the years, it got me into a lot of hot water. But back, uh, one, one thing I'll never forget, I mean, many of them I don't forget, but back in 1992, 
I got a letter from a radio listener. That's before the television and all the other stuff that's going on in the media. But this was, we were starting on radio, and I get this letter from a lady who says, now that I have become a Christian, after listening to you, I informed my boyfriend that I could no longer sleep with him unless we marry. And then she said, uh, when I said that to him, he became angry. And it's, he said that it brought out all of the negative feelings that he has about Christianity. Well, you got to remember, I was young. I am not as guarded in my speech as I am now that I'm older. <laughs> um, and so I gave her a very straightforward advice. Dump the fool. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I should have been a little bit more gentler. And then I said, it is not your problem. It's his. Now, beloved, please listen to me. The Word of God is always clear. The Word of God is always straight. The Word of God is always plain. And Paul is saying to Timothy, keep it that way. <laughs> keep it that way. Nobody's saying that everybody's going to accept our message. Nobody said that everybody's going to be saved. Beloved, listen to me. Loving people does not mean we compromise the integrity of the Word of God. Loving people does not mean that we compromise the truth. Loving people does not mean that we twist the Word of God until it becomes a pretzel. I have seen that. I have people, seen people and heard people twisting it so much until it's, 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 it's unidentifiable. No. Being straightforward, may, we may suffer rejection, we may suffer alienation, we may suffer discrimination, and even we may suffer persecution. But whatever you do, stay as a workman who will not be ashamed when you face Jesus on that great day. Verse 16, avoid godless chatter. In other words, don't get drawn into this foolish discussion. Don't get drawn into discussing issues that have been already been settled in the Word of God long ago. Doing so ruins people and brings about ungodliness. Interestingly, the word, I looked it up here, that, that the word that the Apostle Paul, the Greek word he uses is katastrophe, from which we get the word catastrophe. Compromise does not build up a person. It tears them down and brings about disaster, catastrophe. Compromise leads to false teaching, and false teaching leads to ungodliness. Please hear me right. Hear me right. The legacy of false teaching is false living, and false living leads to a catastrophe. False teaching is like Gangrene. Did, did you see that he used the word gangrene? God translated gangrene. I mean, it is amazing. Look at verse 17. In other words, it's infectious. Don't take it lightly. It is infectious. It spreads so fast. It is deadly. 
I read not long ago that with all of our modern technology, with all of our science and medicine, that if a soldier in the battlefield is not treated, his injuries treated immediately, it could lead to amputation and even death. False teaching and satanic lies can spread much faster than the truth. You say, Michael, why is that? I tell you why. Because the sinful human heart is more comfortable with compromise. And Paul is writing to Timothy and to us. And he mentions two specific people, and he mentions them by name. These two people allowed themselves to be misled, ended up departing from the faith altogether. I tell you, there is not a week that passes by. I hear some preacher fall, some musician, Christian musician fall. It is absolutely heartbreaking. And he names those two people, Himenaeus and Philetus. Isn't it amazing that Himenaeus means the singing man. Therefore, he gets the word hymn. That's a, a, a singing man. And Philetus from phileo, which you know what that means, love, means a lover or a loving. And yet, one is a false singer and the other is a false lover. One is singing the wrong songs and the other has a misplaced love. And here's what you and I must never, never, never forget. Don't miss this. Don't miss this, please. Because deceivers are very attractive people. Deceivers are like the devil himself. They appear as angels of light. Deceivers are very charming people. Deceivers are very eloquent. Deceivers are, are, are great communicators. And they will say things like, Love is the most important thing. Really? No, it's not. Jesus is. Because without Jesus, we don't know how to love. Someone said, and I heard this with my own, my own ears, I would say, God is love, therefore love is God. Really? Don't get hung up on doctrine. Don't get hung up on these biblical things and biblical morality. Don't get hung up on biblical teaching. Don't get hung up on that. After all, Jesus said, just love one another. <laughs> what they do is they take a grain of truth and they wrap it in a whole lot of falsehood or a drop of poison, and they sugarcoat it. Paul said, avoid such people. Now, listen to me. This is important. He, and here's something. We, f we fall in this trap. He is not saying avoid non-believers. That's not what he's saying. In fact, here and in the Corinthian letters, he says, no, you must stay with non-believer, love non-believer, minister to non-believer, help non-believer to come to know the truth. But he said, avoid false Christians, false believers, false teachers. That's what he's saying here. And we hang out with false teachers and false preachers, and then we don't have anything to do with non-believers. 
How are they going to come to know Christ unless we reach out to them? So get that straight, please. Verse 18. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. I believe the Apostle Paul here is quoting from Moses in the book of Numbers, chapter 16, verse 5. Because back then there was a a man by the name of Korah who managed to persuade few others in the Israelite community to oppose the plan of God for redeeming them from Egypt, the slavery of Egypt. Korah was rebelling against the plan of God, and God literally opened the ground and swallowed them. And that's what Paul said, depart from iniquity. Don't be like Korah and company. The second imagery the Apostle Paul gives us here in being faithful is a clean vessel. In a big house, you look at some of the castles and the things you see, and you see in a big house, you see those on television. There are all sorts of utensils and cutlery and pots and pans and large numbers of them. And the church of Jesus Christ worldwide, the global church of Christ, not the local one, but, the, but, and, but it's a local one as well. But in the bigger picture, with the church of Jesus Christ, the elect of God from every nation, every tribe, they come in all sorts. We are like those utensils. We are like those equipment in the home. Except, listen carefully, except as people, we have a choice to be a silver spoon or a dirty bucket. Hello? Is it too tough? Too hard? I'm only expanding the Word of God, right? There are utensils that the master of the house proudly displays. And there's some rusty ones he soon just put in the basement and hide in the basement. Listen to me. Those who are faithful to the Lord and to His Word, the infallible Word of God, both Old and New Testament, those who are faithful to plow in straight lines are instrument of honor. Those who twist the truth and preach and teach and speak half-truth, those who teach their own ideas are instruments of dishonor, as far as God is concerned. might not be as far as the masses are concerned, but as far as the Lord is concerned. Those who speak the truth, uphold the truth, live the truth are instruments of honor. But those who modify the truth, water down the truth, are instrument of dishonor. Except the instruments in the house of Jesus, as I said, have a choice. The inanimate objects in the utensils in the big house don't have a choice. But he's saying, you have a choice. Listen to what the Word of God said. If any of you, if anyone purifies himself, he will be used by the master. 
Please hear me right. This is really important. There can be no higher honor imaginable in life than being an instrument in the hand of God. There is no greater honor in life than being at the disposal of the Lord to use us as He wishes. There can be no greater honor in life than serving to, in, uh, serving to accomplish God's purpose. There can be no higher degree of honor than being available whenever He calls us for service. Ah, oh, but there's a condition. I did not make up that condition. <laughs> what is it? What is that condition? Cleanliness and purity. Oh, are you preaching perfection now? No, 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 no. Don't, don't, miss, don't, miss, don't miss this. Perfection is only going to happen when we get to heaven. Can I get an amen? I can't wait. <laughs> but cleanliness and purity is not perfection. It's not perfection. Verses 22 and 23, Paul said that we can actually purify ourselves. We can only be saved by God's power and grace. That's the only way, not by our works. But once we're saved, we can continuously purify ourselves. You said, Michael, how do I do that? By confession, by repentance. You see, repentance is not just for sinners who don't know Christ and repent and come and believe in Him. Repentance ought to be the lifestyle of every believer. Not rationalizing sin not explaining it away, not justifying it, not saying, well, you know, my father did this and my mother did this, and uh, this happened and that happened and I couldn't help it, and, and I, I blame so-and-so for this. And I, no, 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 no. No rationalization. Look to heaven and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Oh, my goodness, I do that every day. <laughs> Sometimes I say things, sometimes I get angry, and I, and as I stop, I say, Lord, I'm so sorry. Purify, cleansing myself. First, by purging our hearts from false teaching. That's where it begins. Don't listen to it. Don't meditate on it. Don't entertain it. Don't even consider it. Here are some examples of what you hear these false connotations and false teaching and false thoughts that are penetrating deep into the culture. The Bible is not relevant for today, or at least not all of it. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've heard that. God is so loving and so merciful. He's going to let everybody in. Hell cannot possibly go on for eternity. This is called annihilation. Annihilation is preached by many evangelical preachers today. Sad. Jesus, they're contradicting Jesus. He said, the fire will not be quenched and the worm will not die. But he said, no, they will just expire. Or... God gave us the gift of sexuality, therefore we can use it no matter how uh, we feel about it. We can express ourselves whichever way we think is possible. 
No. Or, God doesn't care about how I treat my spouse and my family as long as I'm good to God. (laughs) Or, it doesn't matter how I use my money as long as I give God His tip. But listen, I could go on and on and on, but you get the message. You get the picture here. And then Paul goes on to say, shun youthful passions. Now, listen carefully, (laughs) listen carefully, because as soon as you hear that, there are two things that you will miss. Some people think, oh, they're just sexual uh, immorality, just sexual sins. And other people think, well, that's just for the young people. I want to disabuse you of both. Okay, listen to me very carefully, please. Youthful passion means more. It means self-assertion. It means self-indulgence. It means headstrong. (laughs) It means uh, being obstinate. It means being arrogant. See, these are the normally things associated with the early ages of adolescence. When I have met adolescents in this church who absolutely amaze me at their strength and maturity. But this is just the general idea. But the person at any age should have nothing to do with that. These temptations are there for the old and the young alike. To be sure, they are associated with adolescence, but everybody ought to flee from those kinds of things. Don't miss what I'm going to tell you, because I tell you, I've been long, I've been around the Christian churches around the world and long enough to know that there is a common mistake among believers. There's a common error. I want to explain it to you. And I know you'll understand as soon as I explain it. The Bible said, flee from temptation, but resist the devil. Flee from what? Resist who? There's a reason for that. God knows us. He made us. He knows us inside out. And He gave us that delicate formula. Because God knows that it's much easier to resist the devil and flee from temptation. Here's what many Christians fall into the make the the mistake of reversing those orders. You know what I mean? They reverse them. They try to resist the temptation, then they flee from the devil. Listen carefully. When you try to resist temptation, you got a big percentage of a chance to fall in it. But if you flee from it, you got 99.9% chance of avoiding it. Fleeing from the devil should not be the case. Why? Because you have to stand mano a mano with the devil. You stir him down. And you can do what I do. I talk to the devil. (laughs) I say to the devil, you're a defeated foe. You're a toothless lion. You cannot have any authority over me because I am redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. What the Scripture? Nothing shall separate us from the love of God, not even you, devil. And you know what? When you stand your ground 
and you resist the devil, you know what happens? The devil is the one who flees. That's what the Word of God said. I'm not making it up. But a lot of believers linger and try to fight temptation and the, instead of fleeing. And then they give themselves a bigger chance of falling into it. They linger like Lot did in Sodom instead of fleeing like Joseph did in Egypt. Can I get an amen? amen. But then when we flee, we don't just flee to nowhere or to nothing. No, 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 no. We flee to righteousness. The Bible is so clear. We are to die, deny ourselves and follow Jesus. Or we are to put off the, what belongs to the flesh, to the old nature, put on what belongs to the new nature. That we are to put to death our earthly members and set our minds on things above. We are to crucify the flesh and walk in the Spirit. We are to be ruthlessly rejecting one and relentlessly pursue the other. Can I get an amen? amen. Now, beloved, listen. This is the secret, if there is a secret, there's such thing. This is the secret to victory. This is the secret to godly living. The third imagery. If you're following with me, follow, please. The Apostle Paul gives us a third imagery here, and that's of obedient, loyal servant. It was Spurgeon who said the Christians are the only ones who conspire with the enemy. Just like the worker, not ashamed because he cuts straight lines. Just like a vessel that is continuously cleansing itself for good use, the servant, always obedient and loyal. In the not-so-good old days, you know how people talk about the good old days? In the not-so-good old days, in the days of slavery, a slave had an overriding duty, obey his master, doing the will of his master. And he does that whether he agrees with the master or not, <laughs> whether he likes what the masters ask him to do or not. Let me tell you a story, a true story that hopefully illustrates what I'm trying to say. This was told by somebody who knows the accuracy of this story. Here in Georgia, the name Mr. Woodruff is very well known, right? Everybody in Georgia knows, but those who might be watching, they don't know. All they, all they need to know is Coca-Cola. <laughs> Coca-Cola Company. But Mr. Woodruff, I'm told by somebody who was very close to him, that he was a very strong man, but he was also a gracious man. He treated his team and his people, he treated them with such wonderful graciousness. Now, Mr. Woodruff had a plantation in South Georgia, and many famous, well-known, powerful people would fly in here to spend a day or two at Mr. Woodruff's plantation including many presidents of the United States. One of those presidents who came to spend a few days with Mr. Woodruff was President Eisenhower. 
And President Eisenhower was staying in the plantation and Mr. Eisenhower was an early riser. Mr. Woodruff was not. And so Eisenhower got up early in the morning. Remember, that's the president of the United States. Not after he was, while he was president. So he gets up early in the morning and comes downstairs. He sits in Mr. Woodruff's chair and he rings the bell. And the chief steward comes in. He said, yes, sir. He said, "Uh, can I get some breakfast? And the chief steward said, no. Breakfast is not served until the boss comes down. And furthermore, sir, you're sitting in his seat. You need to move. (laughs) He couldn't care less if he was the president of the United States or not. He couldn't care less what what kind of a, a, a powerful man he is. He couldn't care less. His loyalty is to whom? The boss. Beloved, that's where we ought to be. Our loyalty, our obedience is to the boss. Satan is forever trying to entrap us to have divided loyalty, to have partial obedience. And if you think that I don't know what that is, you would be terribly mistaken. I, I, I am forever alert of the fact when I'm being trapped. Look at verse 26. Being willing and joyful servant will equip us not to fall in Satan's traps. But not only that, but we help others not to fall into Satan's traps. Or if they do, we're able to help them be rescued. I'm constantly reminding myself of this. I'm not preaching. I, I am constantly, daily, sometimes several times a day, I am reminding myself of the traps of the devil. I don't know how many times I got invited to debate other people from other religions. I won't get into the details. But forever, I'm invited to come and debate with so-and-so, debate with so-and-so. My answer is flat, no. Why? Because it is going to make me place biblical truth on the same level as the other person's belief. And furthermore, I haven't seen too many people got converted because of a debate. It makes people get entrenched in their own positions. Let me tell you this story as I conclude about faithfulness and the necessity of reminding ourselves of being faithful day in and day out. There's a very well-to-do home builder who became so comfortable financially that he doesn't need to work anymore. He had worked for many, many years, and he decided he's about to retire. But he also wanted to reward his foreman who has been with him for many years. And so he said to his foreman, he said, you know, we're going to go on a high. I want you to build the biggest and the best house that we have ever built. No budget. No limits. Get the best equipment. The finest of material. No limits on the expenses. I'm going to Europe for a year, and then I'm coming back. 
and I hope you'll finish it by then. And sure enough, the unlimited budget idea just started to dance in the mind of the foreman. He said, this is my chance to make a killing. This is my chance to make a lot of money. So he built this mansion, big house, with the cheapest of materials. He built it with the cheapest of fixtures that would not last. From the exterior, the house looked okay and looked nice, but the interior quality was the poorest of the poor. And when the contractor returned home, inspect the house, and he walked through it with the foreman, and he said to the foreman, he said, how do you like this house? He said, oh, it's a fine house. He said, I'm glad you like it, because that's your retirement gift. (laughs) And he handed him the keys. This house is my gift for you serving me. Beloved, listen to me, please. Listen, listen, I'm about to finish. You and I are building a spiritual house. We are the workmen and women in the building of that house. We are the utensils in that house. We are the servants to the master of the house. So whether you live in contempt or contentment, In your house, whether you live in peace or endless pain, whether you live in the depth of depression or the height of heights, uh, the height of heights, it depends on how you see yourself in relationship to the master of the house. Do you see yourself as an investor in others, pouring into others? And as you invest, you being a soldier on active duty, and being an athlete who's willing to play and run by the rules, and being a hard-working farmer, being a worker, not ashamed of your work, being an instrument that is clean and pure, ready for the hard work in the hand of the master, or as a servant, willing to obey the master, it's up to you. And it's up to me. Oh, my prayer to God that I and everyone at the sound of my voice would say, yes, Lord. That's me. And if not, you can say, yes, Lord. That's what I want to be. You know what? God is honor. He will honor both. Shall we pray together? Father, the word is clear. Your word is plain. And I pray to you right now on behalf of the person who is being convicted by the Holy Spirit and says, yes, I want to be. Heavenly Father, hear the cry, even the silent cry of your servants. And Father, as we look and see Apostasy expanding, as we will see in the next message, as we see the day of Christ is drawing nigh, please help us to be faithful. Faithful 
workmen and women, boys and girls, faithful instruments and faithful obedient servants. For, Father, we cannot do it without your help. Come to our aid, for we pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Will you stand and sing with us, please?